0: If you've wanted yet feared to do work that is weird, this is the show you just need to hear. Where it is revealed how people got into a field that very much appealed to them. You know, following your passion and all that. You know, blazing your own trail. They finished with success because they kept on trying each time they failed. Let's listen to them speak about their jobs, which are quite unique. Weird work. Some people have a way of seeing a space differently.
1: I would probably want to do it in the Bradbury building in downtown L.A., I think, and make it, turn it into a hotel. It's not a hotel. It was used in Blade Runner, and it's got this great open cage elevator that slowly goes up. And it's very noirish. There's a lot of great things you can do with shadows there.
0: They know places that are, well, let's just say way off the beaten path.
1: You might want to consider might be Iceland where there are black beaches and uh, these just sort of open, crazy fields with this weird moss all over them.
0: And have an encyclopedic knowledge of the iconic locations that made big screen history.
1: At first, I was thinking about uh, Dead Horse Point in the Grand Canyon where Thelma and Louise go over.
0: Today, we're talking the globe-trotting, pavement-pounding, unsung hero of every major movie's most iconic shots, the Location Scout. And if you're talking about Lori Bolton, she is one hell of a Location Scout. She's got over 100 movie credits. She's scouted for everything. Big budget stuff like Heat, Armageddon, Dark Knight Rises, Godzilla, King of the Monsters. She works on a category unto itself Nick Cage films like Face Off and City of Angels. She's done recent gold man award noms like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, There Will Be Blood, Top Gun Maverick, I'm calling it right now, and the upcoming star-studded contender Babylon. But before she was thinking about the perfect spot for humanity's final battle with a planet of apes, She was doing what many with a master's degree and a passion for film do.
1: Okay, so the first movie I worked on, I did craft service. And the job of doing craft service is to bring hot things when people are cold and cold things when people are hot. And they say an army moves on its stomach, and it really does. So you don't want people cranky. You want to make sure that their stomach is full. And I remember quite distinctly uh, cutting my little cheesecake and having someone come up to me and go, oh, that cheesecake looks lovely. You did such a great job cutting that up. And I wanted to take the knife and, you know, go up to them and go, I have a fucking master's degree, dude. I can do more things than cut cheesecake. And you can't. You have to swallow your pride and say, thanks so much for noticing. Uh, Can I get you a cup of coffee to go with that? Because that's what your job is. And, And I found that for craft service, they're basically paying you to keep people happy. So embrace it no matter what job you're doing, especially when you start, you have to do the job to the best of your ability. Otherwise, you know, move over and give somebody else a chance. So it was, that's what I did. You know, I I was a great craft service person. And then it led to being a production assistant and that led to being a production coordinator. And eventually I fell into locations because it's different every single day. And uh, there are different problems that you're dealing with every single day. And uh, it, it felt like I was finally home.
0: I was wondering if you can take me through a specific film to just get a better sense of kind of like the day-to-day of a job and how you approach working on a movie. So I was hoping we could talk about 1995 action classic Heat.
1: Ah, yes, Heat. Um, (laughs) Heat heat was an incredible movie to work on. Um, I was on it for a year just in case there was a better location to be found. Um. So what happens generally is I read a script and I make suggestions for where we can film it. Michael Mann is an extremely particular director. He's very specific with what he wants, but also there were occasions like the house that um, John Voight is in with the antennas. I think that was the one we. Brought, I brought him something that he was not expecting, and, and he ended up liking it and kind of changed his mind for what he wanted. It doesn't happen often, but it, it did happen on occasion. Um, and so the hardest scene for that, or what was, I think, one of the more critical things in Michael's mind was the scene where Al Pacino and Robert De Niro were together at the restaurant. And we, I literally scouted every restaurant imaginable. And then I was thinking outside of the box, like, I don't know, maybe it's a couple of bums cooking over a tin can, you know, one of those, you know, huge trash cans that's on fire downtown somewhere. (laughs) And so, I mean, I don't know. We thought of everything. And uh, we ended up shooting it at Kate Mantellini's. But just in case there was something better, he kept me scouting and scouting and scouting for it. And my favorite thing about Michael is he really taught me to have a zen approach toward my job because there were some days where you would just want to kill him because you looked everywhere, everywhere you could possibly think of. And he'd look at a picture that you thought you finally found it. And he'd, he'd look at you over his glasses and he'd say, this is good. And then he'd say, now find me something better. So he was constantly, constantly pushing. And I finally realized every day he's making me better at my job. And I really have him to thank for the fact that I'm so anal and obsessive now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And how does it typically work? So do they just send you a script and then you say, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm not going to do this. Like, what is it like when you kind of first get in touch with the, the film people?
1: Well, I have a mortgage. So when they send me a script, I tend to say, <laughs> yes, thank you. I'd love to do this. <laughs> um, so, so there's that. Um, and then my job originates in a variety of places. I, it could be because all I do is scout. Sometimes I get calls from the producers even before there's a director on. Sometimes I get a call from the studio even before there's really a producer attached. Sometimes <clears> I get calls from the director. Mostly I get calls from the production designers. And sometimes they get calls from other location managers who are already up and going and they get thrown a curveball and they don't have the time to pursue a new location. So they'll call me in to find something.
0: So let's stick with Heat. You get the script, you're reading through it, you see this scene, which becomes an infamous shootout in the street scene. Can you just kind of walk me through finding that location and sort of uh, how you worked with the director on it?
1: It was sort of a lot of pieces of locations. I don't think it could be done today because we had to do it over a a number of weekends where we closed major freeways in Los Angeles. And I just can't see them allowing that to happen. You know, all of the noise, all of the shells, it was just, it was, it was mayhem. But honestly, the person who gets the most credit for that particular scene is the location manager, because it was much more difficult to manage and work out the logistics for managing than just the visuals of scouting.
0: On Heat, I saw that you were listed as a location manager and a location scout. Can you give me a sense of like, what's the difference between those two jobs?
1: Absolutely. So I was listed also as a location manager on that because he Michael Mann is, is very particular and very difficult. And and there were many times where I had to jump in and help the location manager, who is Janice Pauly, who's done, I think, every Michael Mann movie. God help her. Um, anyway, um, <laughs> she she is the best in the business. And part of the reason she's the best in the business is because she's works on so many Michael Mann movies. And when she wasn't working with Michael Mann, she was working with Tony Scott. So she's, she's the, the top of the line there. But um, so generally the location manager is the one who deals with the locations after I find them. So they're responsible for all of the permits. They're responsible for making sure that they don't get shut down, that there's places to park the trucks. In other words, all of the logistics, that that it's seamless and that the director has everything that he or she needs to to actually do the movie.
0: And are you on set when people are filming or are you there just before? I try not to be.
1: Oh, I try really? not to be. Yeah, yeah,
0: Why don't you want to be?
1: I'm very happy to just find the locations and not have to deal with any of that. Honestly, <laughs> it's a <laughs> lot of egos that I, I, I you know, I'm, I'm much happier to just tell me what to do and I'll go and do it. <laughs>
0: uh, have you been a location manager before on other films?
1: Yeah, I started working as a location manager, as a matter of fact, and uh, did it for many years. And enjoyed it. I mean, it's an extremely challenging job and you need to have the right kind of personality to do it and do it well. Uh, When I got pregnant with my daughter many years ago, almost 30 now, um, I realized I couldn't be a location manager because you're at everybody's beck and call 24-7. If anything can go wrong, it's your fault. And if anything can go right, there are five producers standing in front of you to take the credit. So it's kind of a, a... You know, when you have all of your energy to give to it, it's fine. But when you also want to be a parent, it becomes less enticing.
0: So digging into, like, location scouting, how many movies are in a good year for a location scout?
1: I would say probably three at tops. For instance, Heat, I was on the movie for um, a a full solid year, a little bit over a year, which is kind of mind-blowing. That's insane. Um, And then, you know, it depends, like, there are, like, I was on a movie called Pikachu Detective 2, which oh, yeah. never got made. But they were so sure that number one was going to be such a big hit that they hired me to start working on two. And I and I loved it because I was researching all of these great locations around Europe and I had this whole itinerary where I was going to start in Venice. And then the movie Pikachu 1 came out and they pulled the plug on Pikachu 2 and it never happened. So that for me was two really idyllic months of virtual virtual. virtual scouting. And then it was very frustrating because I never got to actually go to any of the places. I did the same thing on the Disney's uh, Little Mermaid that's a live action that they're doing now. I did all of the virtual scouting on it, but never actually did the scouting.
0: So how much does it break down in terms of like for a, a movie where you're both researching and going to the location? How much is the research and how much is the actual scouting of the location? Or does it just vary way too much by movie?
1: It varies way too much by movie. Like I'm waiting to start something right now and I'm and I just was told by somebody something that kind of amazed me is that Netflix because of how its taxes are structured or I'm not really quite sure. They're not eligible for the California incentive, so they don't want to consider California as a location for this upcoming project. So I'm waiting to hear which states they want to look into. And you know, it, it 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 when Atlanta's busy, there's only so many locations in Atlanta, so everybody's tripping over each other there. It's a it's it's crazy when you're chasing the incentives, and that's something that never. I used to just get a script. Now I get a script, and I also get told which countries or which states have incentives. And those are the ones that they want me to look in.
0: Really? I didn't think that oh, as that yeah. a part of it at all.
1: Oh, yeah. It's a really big part of it, actually, now. It's sad.
0: Because, okay, so before, was it like anything? You know, like how did... Yeah. Really?
1: Yeah. Because you... Be, I have been really lucky <laughs> because I've been working with producers and directors who really care about how their movies look to the point where... Like sometimes I'll suggest something and I'll say, you know, yes, but this would be perfect, but it's run by the federal government and it's going to take a real long time for me to get in, figure out who to talk to and get permission. And honestly, at this point, I can't guarantee that I can get permission. It's just kind of a wild idea I have. Nobody's ever done it before. I think it would be great. And I think we have a chance because of the nature of the script. And I'd like to try if you're willing to let me. And and I almost across the board have been lucky enough to work with people that if you say something to them like that, they'll say, sure, let's give it a couple of weeks and see if you could get it because it's going to really add so much to the movie. Hmm. As opposed to what I think, unfortunately, is the average producer these days, which, you know, they look at their watch and they go, no, we don't have the time for that. We don't have the money for that. What's the next best solution?
0: For keeping track of all the locations are you kind of like a spreadsheet person or do you keep all the good places in your head?
1: Oh, it's in my head and it's so scary in there. <laughs> <It's> just- <laughs> things are things are falling out of place all the time. I have them all in my computers and hard drives and I, I'm stupidly, and this is, this is the advice that I give now to people who are starting is make sure that you've got a really good system for a location library and storing all of your contacts because I never did and I and I always thought, Oh, I'll have time to catch up. I'll have time to catch up. And honestly, I can't complain about it because I have always worked back to back to back. But um I, I just have things divided per show because mm-hmm. I finish one show and then I start another. And now I'm at the age where I can't remember which movie it was that I shot the yada yada on. So I sometimes have to go through my hard drives. Which is good because then sometimes I find things that I completely forgot about. So it all works out.
0: Is it crazy where you're like, do you remember like an alleyway? And you're like, that alleyway could be in London. Exactly. Or, in or did Sp- I see yeah, it yeah, okay. in
1: Detroit? Oh, my God. Was it <laughs> cold or was it hot when I saw it? Let me think. Yeah, all the time. <laughs>
0: Was it night or was it day when I was doing it? Was it
1: day?
0: Yeah? Okay, that's that's good. So, okay, so if you're showing up into a new location, like you've researched it from afar, do you just kind of wander around the town looking for places or do you talk to people? Like how much are you interacting with people in the location?
1: What I want to do first before I start getting people agitated or, you know, in a frenzy over the fact that there's a movie company coming to town. To some people, it's fun. To some people, it's not so much. Where are we going to park? Why are we going to date? You know, there's all of that (laughs) stuff too. So the first thing I want to do is I want to approach it in a logical nature where there's someone from the city or town who can help me make people understand and this generally will happen with maybe an you know an article in the local newspaper about how filming is so important to the economy of a region so it's not only when we come into film is it the money that we're paying for the locations? We're also using your dry cleaners, your hotels, your restaurants. And we're, it's, it pumps a lot of money into the local economy. And they've done studies, too, where the crew gets per diem when they're on location. And they've yeah. paid the crew per diem in $2 bills. And then all of a sudden, these $2 bills start showing up all over town so that people could really see how much money the movie was spending there.
0: Oh, I like that. That's a good idea.
1: But then the longest term effect, which is really what people often forget, and it's critical, is film tourism. And you can just look at what happened in New Zealand with The Hobbit, how now it's an industry there. It's like Disneyland, and it's all because of those movies. And even A River Runs Through It, which I worked on. I mean, we were in a small town of Livingston, Montana, which was basically a dying community when we went up there. And and after the movie. Pe- millions of people from all over went there to go fly fishing. Now, to many people that was great because they turned the economy around, but there were many people who hated the fact that all of these Californians were coming in and fishing in quote unquote their rivers, you know, because they they didn't like the influx.
0: Well, Brad Pitt's going to draw him in there, you know. yeah, Like a young yeah. Brad Pitt. There you go. <laughs> There
1: you
0: go. <laughs> um, how much traveling do you generally do for location scouting?
1: Generally quite a bit. And it's it's. I, I'm getting quite antsy with COVID because I've just been working in LA. Um, ever since my daughter um, went to college, I was able to start traveling. And it was great that it coincided with the incentives. So um, I was kind of forced to be traveling because uh, – At least initially, California wasn't on an even playing field with the rest of the world on that. So there was one year in particular where I was in Atlanta. Um, I was home maybe about a a month for the whole year. So it gets hard. You know, I mean, it sounds great, but it's hard.
0: Where's the furthest you've traveled for work?
1: Uh, I guess Vietnam, maybe. And then I'm often get I get involved on um, what they call familiarization trips, like I'm going to Panama next week because places want me to come to see what they have to offer so that when I'm doing my research, I actually have my own pictures of the place already. And I have my own, you know, collective memories of the place so that it helps when I present it for a project.
0: That is awesome. That's a surprising perk of the job. Oh,
1: it's a, it's lovely. And it's a, <laughs> a Iceland um, the first one one of the first ones I went on internationally at least was Iceland, and they set it up very intelligently where they had different production service companies go out with us each day. So we got not only to see the locations but to meet the people who would help us with the logistics there. So it's a really a great win-win. and And almost every fam tour that I've been on, they have ended up getting a production because of the fam tour.
0: Do you think there's something that you've kind of like gained after doing it so many times? You know, like finding so many locations and time and time again. Like, what do you think is the skill that keeps you working, like from back to back, movie to movie? You know what I mean?
1: I think it's because I don't just go and shoot a location and say, here it is. I've read the script, I remember the script while I'm shooting, and I'll shoot it straight out with the reverse. And then I walk around for quite a while before I start shooting the rest of of my images, because I want to get the sense of how it's going to best serve the director when he or she is trying to convey what happens in the scene. So, you know, sometimes I'll bring a ladder with me or I'll find some place where I can climb up high to get that kind of shot. And other times I'll lay down on the ground so that I can look up. And then it's like, you know, what lens am I using? Like Michael Bay always loves a really wide, wide lens. So you, you know, you lay down on the ground with a wide lens and you shoot up. And that's the kind of stuff that really gets him excited. So it's a, you know, it's a question of knowing what you're, how your director wants to perceive the locations and then also reading the script and, and figuring out for yourself how the location is going to best serve that scene in the movie. And, and you shoot it in, in such a way so that that's what you're communicating.
0: It seems like you're willing to like dive into the script to be like, I advocate for this location because Absolutely. it fits. Absolutely. Like, and and have I do to push think, back.
1: yeah. And I, and I think that that's, might possibly be the reason that I work as often as I do is and I'm lucky because it could have just the opposite effect as well, is that I'm very opinionated. and i if i if I have something that I want to fight for, I you know I'll say, you know, call me crazy, but I think maybe this might be a good way to take it. And frequently they call me crazy and move on to the next thing. But occasionally they'll look at it and go, hi, huh, you know, never thought about it this way. This is actually a pretty interesting idea. And then, you know, maybe you get something.
0: you got to, you got to have strong opinions on at least some things.
1: Well, that, I, 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 I don't know what to say about that. I was born this way. <laughs> this is who I am and nothing's going to change it. So I'm very happy that it worked out for me.
0: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So I've mentioned this interview to a bunch of people. I've been very excited about finding a location scout and very excited about talking to you. And people with no knowledge of location scouting whatsoever are surprised that you're a woman. Is it uncommon to be a woman in location scouting? Like talking to my she's like, oh, I'd assume you'd be wandering around a lot and that a lot of women women wouldn't want to do that job.
1: Well, you know, when it gets tough is to go back to heat, actually. You know, it got to the point where I I said I should just put a little bit of razor wire on the edge of my uh, lens so that it looked like there was always a razor wire in every picture that I took. Because Michael wanted me to be in the ghetto. He wanted me to be in the barrio. He wanted me to be in these really nasty areas. And I'd say to him, you know, you can recreate this in Santa Monica. It's possible. But uh, he wanted the real thing. So there were a couple of areas where there were, ga- you know, I mean, when I, one of the, fir- one of the first movies I worked on when I was here was the wonderful film Rocky 5. And I yes. I had just moved here and I parked my car in some alley off of Alvarado and I came back and my back window was shot out. So So there are times where you realize you don't realize when you're first starting the job because you don't want anyone to think you're a wimp, but you get to the point where it's like, this is a dangerous area that I'm going into. And I'm sure I'm happy to scout it, but you want me to scout at night and I have my eye to my camera. I can't see what's going on behind me. You're giving me a cop or a security guy to go out with me. And even guys ask for that. It's not just because I'm a woman.
0: Huh. So sometimes you're actually, you're going out you, you might have a sub crew of your own, possibly a drone operator, maybe security. Yeah, yeah. Who are going depending. with you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I did. Okay. Interesting. Kind of fast forwarding to your, to a little bit further along in your career, you were the first location professional invited to join the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. This seems like a massive accomplishment for the profession in general. How did it feel for you personally?
1: Pretty damn good, I gotta say. Uh, It was (laughs) amazing. I mean, I never thought that it would happen and it happened the first go round. And uh, now there are several location people in the Academy and it's great because they've realized that we are important contributors to the creative story that's being told, that locations are an important part of that story, if not a character. We make an important creative contribution to projects and it's just really nice to finally be recognized for that.
0: Thank you so much to Lori Bolton. You can see her work by going to the movies and looking at the screen or following her on Instagram at lbalton. Today's episode was written by, I, me, Stan Balter. That's right, I sometimes write these things too. Our episode was produced and edited by my partner in Strange, Matt. Not so tall anymore, brown. Our theme music is by Matt Farley. If you like Weird Work, do what you do with podcasts you like. Share, rate, review. Buy our merch at weird.work. We spent all the money on that. The fancy URL. So we're kind of broke and we don't have any corporate sponsors anymore. So it's a little bit tougher. (laughs) And lastly, thanks to you, you wonderful globe of light traveling through the cosmos. Stay weird. Just a. Test like how good Lori was at location scouting. I just kind of threw out a few movie ideas that I was thinking about and asked her to give me the locations for them. <laughs> and long story short, Lori is great at this. Okay, so this is the first movie idea. It's 1880, the big city. High rises and big dreams, but a gritty underbelly. The story revolves around a hotel of horrible murders potentially caused by paranormal activity, or an eerie front desk clerk, what hotel would you recommend?
1: I would probably want to do it in the Bradbury building in downtown LA, I think, and make it, turn it into a hotel. It's not a hotel. It was used in Blade Runner, and it's got this great open cage elevator that slowly (laughs) goes up. And it's very noirish. There's a lot of great things you can do with shadows there. And each floor has open railings around it so that it gives you really great camera angles and and great possibilities as that elevator is slowly rising up into the hotel.
0: I like that for my eerie front desk clerk. I think it's such a good one. Okay. The year 2580. The earth has been destroyed for the third time. A lone (laughs) band of human-cyborg hybrids decide to build a new life in an oasis in a vast and desolate desert. What desert should I start looking at?
1: You might want to consider might be Iceland where there are black beaches and uh, these just sort of open, crazy fields with this weird moss all over them. So that might actually be an interesting way to spin it where you're Giving a futuristic uh, feel where there's nothing there, but it's not desert necessarily.
0: Yeah, the world has been destroyed three times at this point, so it's got to look a lot different. So maybe a dark. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Dif- different pace. I need to film a romantic comedy about two star-crossed lovers living in London and another one living in Dubai, but... I don't have a huge budget and I don't want to leave L.A. What neighborhoods should their homes be in?
1: Well, we did this with Nancy Meyers movie where we had the um, I don't remember the name of the movie. I'm embarrassed to say, but she goes to London and the person from London comes to L.A. I think Jack Black was in it. (laughs) Is
0: that the holiday?
1: Yes, that's it. Thank you. Anyway, so I found the house here that was supposed to be in London. It's in Los Feliz, and it's a cute little cottage that easily could feel like it's in London. And Dubai, I would go with uh, um, one of the newer towers that they're putting up um, for apartments. Um, we don't have anything quite as crazy and wild as Dubai. There's no Zaha Hadid here, unfortunately. But we have a couple of interesting um, apartment buildings that could work.
0: Okay. Last one for my movie ideas. In a high-budget action movie, weird work goes on the road. Through a wild mix of unpredictable events, producer Matt and I have to outrun a gang of violent street racers. In an epic chase that involves motorcycles, pickup trucks, and a World War I tank, (laughs) we need to hit a jump that causes us to go over something massive, like a bridge or a river or a building. Now. No CGI involved at all. What road are you thinking about?
1: At first, I was thinking about uh, Dead Horse Point in the Grand Canyon where Thelma and Louise go over.
0: Oh, that would be a great spot to go over
1: little little too extreme. Yeah, no, we're, we want to survive though. in this but, movie. But I'll tell you, yeah, I was going to say, but I'll tell you, because we did a little dry run and you told me what to expect and you never mentioned this idea that we're doing now. Maybe that is the best place for me to send you. Yeah,
0: but you did so good. That was great. That was great. Are you kidding me? You killed it right off the bat.
1: Okay. Okay.